Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Become Fire podcast. Uh, it's so good to have you. And joining us for this he- healing series, we've been doing a, a series, we talked about physical healing, a great story with Paul Zuccarelli and his wife and the physical healing he experienced. We talked last week with Aaron Sylvester about emotional healing and how our, our hearts need to be healed. And we're going to move into kind of psychological healing, the healing of our mindset and how we need to change our way of thinking. And so I am privileged and honored to be joined today by Miss Sheila Terry. Uh, Sheila is a member here of the Healer River community and has experienced profound healing from the Lord. And so welcome, Sheila. So good to have you. Hello. Thank you for having me, Father. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, and so, Sheila, we're just going to get right into it. And just before we get into your story, who are you? Like, what, Tell me about your family. Tell me about where you're from. Tell me about uh, your siblings. Give us a little bit of background about yourself. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm a mother of five, a single parent. Um, I'm a member of the tribe here, Hill River. I was uh, raised in the village of Goodyear. Um, I was adopted, actually, by my my biological mother's foster parents. Um, and they raised me from birth until my adopted mother, who I called my grandma, um, passed away when I was 14. And um, and then her husband, my grandfather, who I call my baba'a, which is my grandfather in our language, um, he passed away when I was 20. But... Um, I was raised at first with like knowing that their son was my father and their daughter was my aunt and that um, his son was my brother. So when I was about the age of, I'm going to say about seven, we were cleaning my grandmother's office and we came across some papers and it said, my name, Sheila Rose White. And I'm like, who's this? Because they had my birth date. And she goes, oh, that was you before we adopted you. And I said, adopted. So from that point on, I started to question who I was. But this I can say now that I'm older, but when I was a kid, I probably couldn't have said that, you know? So I believe at that point, I kind of started to um, rebel. Um, okay, so before we get to particular rebellion, so let's talk about the first seven years of life. So were those good, you know, quality years? Is there anything as we get to the kind of the early life? How was early life like? And sorry, the village of Goodyear, for those who don't know, is actually on Gila River. This is not the city of Goodyear. This is the village of Goodyear. Yes. Uh, in District 5 of four. the... District 4, thank it's you, four. of the uh, Gila River Indian community. So tell us about those first seven years of life before the rebellion started. That um, is slowly coming back to me now that the mindset has changed. Um, I don't remember. I could say a lot of it. I know that... Um, there was a lot of um, secrets that were going on in the family, and I was uh, sexually abused. Started at the age of three, and so like a lot of that, I blocked out. I can remember certain moments where I was happy. I know that I had a very, 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 very vivid, big imagination, and everything from that age under seven was imagination. You know. Um, I was always trying to manipulate my way through things when I was that young. So manipulation started at a really young age. Um, uh, I know my grandma and grandpa loved me. I know that much. Yeah. Um, I know I did a lot of uh, sneaking off 
you know. I don't know if that was because of the abuse and it was a way for me to get away, but I know I played a lot of I, I played a lot of games. I played a lot of imaginary things and all the kids in the neighborhood would always come over to see me or play with me because I had the wildest imagination. I could always come up with like we would play, you know, like the T V station. We'd be under my grandpa's my grandma and grandpa's Vato, which is a Ramada. And we would sit in there and I'd have the table set up and I'd be the news anchor and I'd be like, you know, telling telling everybody you're the camera person and I was always the person like we always do what Sheila wants, but it's like, well, what do you guys want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? And so it came back to, always came back to me. So I was always just, you know, or like when we were kids, we would play in the cotton field and we we played war. Yeah. So it used, <laughs> we picked the cotton, the cotton balls off the cotton yeah, and we throw them at each other. And that was how we, that was the bombs and stuff. And then, or we would play um, house, but it wasn't like mom and dad house. It was like how we wanted our house to be when we were, mm. when we were big, you know? So what we would do is we'd use um. We'd get in my grandpa's lumber, and we'd build houses. We'd build, like, a little house, makeshift house out of different things. We'd use a table, and then we'd build off the table, you know. And then uh, we'd go to back, – back then when we were kids, we didn't have a trash service. So what we did is they the family would dig a big hole in the backyard, and <laughs> we'd throw our trash in there. And when we were kids, my, we play, my grandpa would give us a lighter, go over there and light the trash so it burned down. But sometimes we would, like – go through the trash and pick stuff out first and then burn the stuff over here on this side and put this in the corner so then it was time to play house. We had a, that was our grocery store. <laughs> we'd go in there and we'd get like the cartons of milk and, you oh, know, the funny. eggs and stuff in the cans and stuff like that and we used that for our imaginary. Oh, that's awesome. What a great imagination. How beautiful. <laughs> Despite, you know, the, midst of the the abuse. But then as you said at age seven, you started to rebel mm-hmm. when you found out you were adopted. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this time from seven till teenage 14, years. Fourteen, yeah. Seven to fourteen. Um, how was that? I went to school, Catholic school, from first grade until my eighth grade year my baba was the bus driver and um i had perfect attendance i never missed school i was always on time because i was he was he parked the bus at our house so first one's on last one's off you know so it was like um at school i i acted i um deliberately gave the sisters a hard time i can say out of my entire family i have um a brother above me, and I have two below me, and I was the only girl. And um, I can say out of all of us, I'm the only one that had nuns in every grade from first grade to <laughs> eighth grade. As I get older, I understand why. I understand why all the praying and all. <laughs> it's I, I laugh because it's like, you know, I used to get mad. I say, why do I have? How come? How come they get to have a regular teacher? I have to have a sister, you know, because I was just like, you know, always just giving them a hard time, you know, um, first grade year was fun. I had sister Carla and she was the sweetest woman and she always just gave me this and that, you know, um, she looked out for me. My second grade year was sister Giselle. I gave her a lot of (laughs) grief, um, you know, but I was always, um, I know as a child, a kid, I was very smart and Giselle knew that. And so she always gave me challenging things to do. I think all my teachers did gave me challenging things. But at second grade is when I started to like, um, started fighting. I started fighting the boys in my class. Not the girls so much, but always the boys. I was just fighting the boys, calling them names, picking on them. And it's not because they were bigger than me or taller, it was just because they were boys. And that's who abused me, was yeah. boys. You know, even even growing up in my neighborhood as a, as a little kid, all the boys picked on me because it's like, there was probably about, I would say, five of us girls in my entire neighborhood that I grew up in. 
Rebels had sons. So of the five of us, the two girls to my left and the two girls to my right, my neighbors, they were always um, at home. They were not to come out and play only certain times. So I had to just play the boys. And the boys always picked on me and shoved me in in the agave plants, in the <laughs> in the uh, aloe vera plants. They'd always uh, bury me in dirt. We'd play in the canal, and they'd make sure they put all the dirt on me so I couldn't come with them when they would go go ride bikes. When I played football with them, they always tackled me. We were playing touch football, but they would tackle me, and I'd get hurt, and I'd go tell my grandma, and then everybody has to go home. So it was like, you mess up all our fun, you know? So, so my thing at that age was just always fighting with boys. Third grade, I started talking back to the sisters. Um, I gave sister Jean Ann, my third and fourth grade teacher, a really hard time. And one time um, <laughs> I was in there talking to sister Jean Ann, very crazy. And my grandpa, like I said, he was a bus driver. He was standing at the back of the classroom listening the whole time. And when the door opened, he, he was standing in between the first and second grade and third and fourth grade. He was standing there. <laughs> and I was going off on sister Jean Ann and everybody in the classroom turns around. And I stop and I look at my white beads. I look back and he's standing looking at me like, and I'm like, oh, great. My grandpa never spanked me. He spanked me one time in my life. And that's because I burned his hay down for his horses. <laughs> Other than that, he always just talked to me, you know. If I got in trouble, my grandma would say, Harry, get her. Go spank her. And he'd take me outside and he'd say, come on. And we'd go talk. My grandpa was my everything. I mean, he always took me for horse rides when I was little. He'd, you know, he'd be leaving in the early morning to go hunting or whatever or just go ride. He was a ranger back in the day, so he loved riding horses. So every time he'd get ready to take off, I'd be like, can I go blah Grandma? She's like, no, you got to clean this and that. And so sneak in the room, get my boots and run out there and he'd pick me up from his horse and I'd go with him and I'd be gone all day with him. You know, so, so like that was my getaway, my grandpa, you know, and he always took my side. So I love my grandfather very dearly. Um, now, did the, was the sexual abuse continuing throughout this time or was it? Yes, it was continuing until I was about 11 years old when I finally, okay. when I finally told, um, I think I got caught with somebody. And my grandma was just like, what is going on? Yeah. So I told her it had been going on for a long time. And she was just like, at, at, when I was younger, I felt like I broke my grandma's heart. And um, when she passed away, I blamed myself for that. You know, had I not told her what was going on, maybe she'd still be here. It's, it's how I felt as a kid, you know, because mm. prior to that, she was fine. You know, but that's just how we think as a child. You know, you think you think you blame yourself for things, you know. Then after she passed away, I got very promiscuous. And what, how, what age is this? Uh, 14, 15. Oh, 14. Okay, let's go back to your teenage years then. I started running away. Yeah. So a year after she passed, um, I deliberately ran away from home to see if anybody would come for me because I knew my grandma loved me. I knew my grandpa was brokenhearted because they had been married for, it was going on their 50th year when she passed away. Yeah. So I never I never expected my grandpa to do this and that, but I expected the other people in my family to look out for me. And when I ran away... I was gone for eight months, and no one ever came for me. Mm. No one ever looked for me. Mind you, I was 15 years old, and you would think somebody would come for me. I was a little girl, you know, still. And no one did, so from that point on, I just kind of started to live my own life, whatever I wanted to do, wherever I wanted to be. I lived with this family and that family and this family and that family. And um, that's how it's been since then, pretty much, you know, Um my aunt from Mesa, which is my mom's biological sister, came for me when I was 16 and took me to live with her. And I was doing good. I was going to school in Mesa. In Mesa, I was going to Westwood. I was a junior. 
and it was doing okay. And then, I don't know, I felt like I was just there to babysit her son all the time, and she was always going out. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to start rebelling again. And I start rebelling, and that put me back on the streets again, you know, living here, living there. So I got a hold of my mom's other sister, who was in Georgia at the time, and I told her I'm just doing nothing again. I don't want to be doing this. I, I've always cried out for help. But it seemed like the physical being of a person wasn't there to help me, you know. But we'll get into that after about the whole God thing when I look back on it all. But um, so when I was um, 16, my aunt said, uh, go back to your grandpa's house and I'll send you a ticket and you come to Georgia. But tell your grandpa. And every time somebody would talk to my grandpa, he'd be like, okay, that's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, it's right for her. So when I told my grandpa, I said, my aunt wants me to go to Georgia. And the only thing he said to me was, I'm not going to tell you yes, I'm not going to tell you no. When I was 15, I was getting married to your grandma. So I know you know how to make a decision for yourself. You can either go there and make something, or you can go there and mess up. You can stay here and make something, or you can stay here and mess up. So it's up to you. I took it as an opportunity to get the hell out of here, excuse my language, and be gone. And leave everything in the past and not to come back to it, you know. That's how I looked at it. This is kind of how I always did things. I ran. I was a runner. Even elementary school, junior high, high school, I ran. Cross country, I ran. Tra- I, did, I was a runner. So being the physical runner, I was also a mental runner. Yeah. And I learned to run from everything. If things got too much, if things got too hectic, we got to go. Yeah. Let's run. And, you know, even carrying on to my adulthood, you know, with my children. Something didn't work out, I packed up and we ran. You know, it got to the point where when I was... 35 years old, I could pack up a three-bedroom house in half a day and we're gone. And and I could, my family always said, as long as we don't hear anything about her, she's fine. That's how they looked at it because I was always, I knew how to survive. I always lived in survival mode since I was probably a kid. Just didn't know it until I got older when I was, you know. Yeah. I picked up an addiction probably when I was uh, 18 years old but didn't know that it, that's where it was going. And just, you're in Georgia at the time? I'm in Georgia, yes. Okay. And that's the first time I had used meth. I was drinking since I was probably 14. Okay. And I learned that, um, I learned at a young age that if I drank too much and I pass out, anything could happen to me. So yeah. I kind of just didn't do the drinking thing, you know. Plus I grew up in a, where I grew up in my village, the local bar, which is right on the boundary line of the reservation in the city, was less than a mile away. And I seen drinking around me my whole life, you yeah. know, where we lived at. Our neighbors to the left, our neighbors to the right, and our neighbors across the street. Every weekend it was a party. So my grandma always called it Sodom and Gomorrah where we lived at because my grandma <laughs> and grandpa were really very strong in the Catholic Church. They were they were the pillars at the time when they were alive. They were the pillars of St. Peter's Parish, which is in Babechill, which is our home parish, which is where I was baptized, where all my kids had been baptized. And um, so my grandma always kind of said that. You know, my grandma was really strong in the rosary. She prayed the rosary. I mean, my whole childhood growing up, I always said, why do I got to have a rosary for my birthday, you know? <laughs> my brothers all get a birthday party, but I have to have a rosary, you know? I understand why now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, just all those things I look back on and it's just like, wow, like, it's always just been there, you know? Like, um, I've been to rehab four different times, you know? First, it was through my job. Second was because my kids got taken. You know, and it, at the time, it was just three kids. And 
a fourth one came along and then I had to go because of the four of them. And then my oldest was old enough to be on her own. And it was the three plus my baby because I have five kids. And, um, but every time I've, I've, I've come back for my children and just say, oh, well, pfft, I'm going to go, you know, because I know what it's like to be that child without a parent, but I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't, I, I didn't have a mom. I didn't have a dad. I just tried to do it in survival mode, honestly, you know. I would go to my family, but it's like, I didn't like going back home. Every time I went back home, I screwed up. I messed up. I ended up getting myself in trouble. And because of how I felt from my childhood, from my teenage years of, of thinking nobody wanted me, why would I go back to somewhere where I know it's going to just hurt me more? Yeah. You know, so I just never, I went back. I only went back when the appearance looked good. You know, because if I look good in front of my family, then they're going to be all okay with me, you know. Yeah. But if I came back because I needed help, why would they help me? They didn't help me when I cried for help when I was young. That's that's how my mind frame was, you know. Yeah. And so for years and years, I just continued to do the abuse. Um, I was, like I said, a meth user. Um, I got involved in heroin and stuff like that when I was probably in my late late 30s. You know, but that wasn't my thing. It was always just meth. So I've, I've been on, a, on and off again with meth for the same age as my oldest daughter, and she's 28. So it's been a 28-year battle. You know, I, I get some bouts of clean time, and I'm good. I go back to the res, and pfft, when I get back in that neighborhood, I don't know in the back of my mind if it just takes me to what was bad for me, you know? Yeah. And so I start self-sabotaging. And that's one thing that's really something I've come to understand is that I self-sabotage. Nobody does anything to me. I do it to myself just because I know that's where I'm comfortable at, in, in misery, in, 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 in drama, you know? For myself, I didn't think for years I was addicted to drugs. I just thought... That's not me, you know. But as I've come to understand, you know, it wasn't just the drugs. It was it was everything that came with it. Yeah. You know, it's like I have a high adrenaline, so we got to go to the extreme. With that, that's how I'm, I'm an extremist. It's got to be this way, or we ain't doing it. Yeah, that's it's really interesting that you, the, the term you used. I felt comfortable in chaos. I felt comfortable when things were kind of falling apart. And when things weren't falling apart, it was uncomfortable. And I kind of self-sabotaged this mentality of survival mode. This, it's not one thing you mentioned, the survival, this mentality of chaos is actually mm -hmm. comfort. Yeah. You know, this survival, this mentality of uh, no one's going to take care of me. I have to take care of myself. So just to kind of point through all these mentalities, you know, about, that you I've know, taught psych myself. psychological healing, yeah. it's, our, it's our focus for today. Just all these different mentalities that you taught yourself because of these experiences that were kind of how you ruled your life, how you made your decisions mm -hmm. and how you uh, um, kind of in the midst of all that said, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do next. So here's the next thing I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep making these decisions based upon these, these lies, these, these, these lies that you believed. And even to the point where there was times that I've, I've, I've contemplated death. You know, it's got that bad to where I wanted to take my own life. But then when it came down to it, it's like, I can't, I didn't know how to, I was too, I was too scared to, because <laughs> that's one thing I can say is that I knew the 10 commandments. I knew all this stuff and I probably sinned every commandment there is. But when it came to death, I couldn't do it yeah. because I did not want to go to hell. Yeah. I did not want to live in this darkness that I lived on this earth for a yeah. long time, Yeah. you know? And wow. I knew that if I was there, Something kept me, a greater power, God, kept me to where I didn't take myself out, you know? I, I've, I've tried walking in front of cars and they stop, like, what are you doing? I want to die. Why? You're so beautiful. What are you doing? I didn't see myself as beautiful. How, how did you? That's, that's Physic, physically or, or, or you yeah, know? How did, when you looked at yourself in, you know, in, in every aspect, what did you see? 
My mother, my birth mom. Okay. Was that a good look or that was a bad? Okay. My mom was a very beautiful woman, but I didn't understand why she didn't want me. Yeah. Because I was ugly. It's because I look like her, you know, because I look just like my mother. And I just saw myself as this ugly person. I didn't know how to take compliments. When people complimented me, I was like, okay, what do you want? Yeah. You want something. Because I didn't see myself as, as, a, as a beautiful being, as a beautiful person, as, as you know. He says, oh, my God, you're so conceited. No, I'm not conceited. I just, if you understood where I came from and everything I went through in my life, you would understand why I consider myself ugly. And I couldn't take a compliment. And it was hard that when someone did that. I mean, it was, it was really hard for me. Yeah. You know, it was hard for me to sit still. I still have that little issue right now, but I'm starting to work on, work on, I, I work on that like on a daily basis. Yeah. It's okay, Sheila, you know, seriously, because I cannot, I, I, I actually have nails. I have bit my nails since I was a child, you know? I mean, they grow, but they split, but I mean, I have nails. I never had nails. I just had nubs. <laughs> scratch my back. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't scratch your back on nails, you know? I could never pick little things up like this because I had nothing to do, because I yeah. just, I could never, that was my nervous thing. Yeah. Biting my nails. Okay, and uh, and we're gonna get into like the living out of, from a new mentality. But let's talk about the shift now. So so what happens? So you'd say you have a, a different outlook on life now. And so what <laughs> what has led to this this new outlook? So we talked about kind of the old outlook, the unhealed mentalities that you had before. But now I want to talk, move to psychological healing. Reflect upon this in the next episode. But let's talk about the healing itself. What did God do? He sent you to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, not trying to be cliche, but it's just like, I mean, Sister Martha has always had my back. Sister Martha is my seventh grade teacher, my eighth grade principal, and she's also the teacher of all my children. She taught one of my kids at some time in their life, you know. She was my kids' pretty much eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade teacher principal, you know, except for my second child. She was his second and third grade teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, but, but she's had a, all of my kids and she's always told me that, God, your kids are so smart. They're just like you. And she always tried to like, how would I say, lead me to the water, you know? But I'd always be like, leave me alone. Yeah. Get away from me. I didn't want to hear God. I didn't understand God because my mentality was God took things from me. He took my grandma. He took anything that was good in my life. He took from me. Yeah. Is how I looked at it because, you know, I would say my grandparents like, Especially my grandma was like, you know, she went to God for everything, but I didn't see it. I didn't understand. I guess I was raised in the church. I was raised in Bapechill by the church, by the elders. Everything they talked to me was God, this, God, that. So when I was of age, it's like, stay away, God. I don't want anything to do with you because you take everything from me. Yeah. It's how I looked at it, you know? My mentality. Um, these past two years, I went to jail in 2017. I got arrested um, on I-17 um, with for drugs, possession of drugs and whatnot. And I went to jail for the first time in my life. I was 41 years old, and I went to jail for the first time in my life. And <laughs> I've been arrested, taken to the police station numerous times, and let go. You know, held for an hour, held for maybe eight hours, but I was always released. And this time, I was not getting released. And I could not, I sat in this jail cell and I could not think, could not anything in this jail cell. And all I could do was pray to God. God, please help me. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. I want to go see my kids. I don't want to do this. 
the year of 17 is also the same year that I um, prayed to God to help me get out of my addiction. Because once again, I came back home and I sabotaged the neighborhood, you know, with bringing drugs to the community, you know. And and in my mentality now, you know, I own that. I own that, you know, I, I played a big part in destroying our community, you know. So last year, well, COVID happened and it was like, okay, everybody's got to be confined to home and this and that. And I'm like, I was in my addiction. I was like, oh, I'm, in, I'm invincible. No, nothing's going to take me down. Nothing's going to... You know, and that's how I thought, you know, I'm invincible, you know. And um, I still ran around even though we were supposed to be on lockdown at home, blah, blah, blah. And I still ran around. But in 21, it was different. It's like God was throwing little shots at me. And I'm just like, okay. I come to points in my life where like I had nothing. But still something was provided for me. And I didn't know how to, you know. So just little bit by little bit, I was starting to like, okay, I'm slowing down. I'm getting older. On top of getting older, <laughs> um, one of the things I didn't understand was the trauma. The trauma was weighing me down to the point where I am 45 years old and I am moving like I'm 80 years old. Couldn't do nothing, you know? Get out of bed was a chore. It was hard to do. Getting high to get myself out of bed was not working no more. What else can I do, you know? And my godmother passed away. And that was like my only tie, but she was so really into, into the Blessed Mother, you know? And she lived 87 years. And I would see her go through pain, but she would still get up and do stuff. Pray for us, this and that, you know? I was her favorite godchild. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, just um, when she passed away, you were there. And you came and talked to me at the funeral. I was drinking on her funeral day. You know, that, that night I heard so many things that were just, I knew it was true, but I needed confirmation. And my god sister confirmed these things with me that, that I knew. And finally someone was, con okay, you're not crazy, Sheila. These yeah. things really happened, you know? So that, that night after we were doing the wake services, I said, I'm going to go home and get ready to get the kids up and this and that. Instead, I took up the store, started drinking. I'm sitting in church drinking. Like, just not, not that I didn't care. I just, it was just like, this is too much for me. I can't believe I just heard all these things that are, that, that really is true. And how do you, how do you, how do you take all that in and still be okay? You know, it was, it, it, it was weighing me down, you know? So when we were at the cemetery, it was what you had said about my godmother, how she, what she wore in her casket, that she was ready to receive the Holy Mother. And I heard, even though I was drunk, I heard all that, and I remember it very well, you know? And then after Mass, I mean, after, after we got ready to do the last viewing, you came and you said, and you talked to me, and we were talking. And I was like, you know, there's going to be this grief to grace. I think you, should, you would benefit from it. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? Did Sister Martha send you to me? No. You told me God, God sent you. You know, God, God has had me... I'm looking at you like, okay, why does God want to have anything to do with me? Everything I've done, you know? So then um, the packet came. You know, I started by the packet. I looked at it. What got my attention was that part where it says, you'd be surprised that, that in the parentheses about trauma and the body pain. 
I was tired of hurting. I was tired of the physical pain I was going through. And that's why I went to the retreat. And the retreat is what? <laughs> the retreat was a phenomenal experience. And it made me see things that had always been there, but I just didn't want to see it. I had my blinders on. I don't want to see this. God who, you know? But just things that were happening at the retreat was just like phenomenal. Like in two days, my body pain was gone. I could get out of bed. I could move around. I could wear heels again. I haven't worn heels in like seven, eight years. It was a chore to wear heels. All kind of pain in my hips and my knees. I could lay on my stomach. <laughs> Something I couldn't do in a long time because of, it was hard to get out of bed. It was hard to even just lay on the floor on my stomach like, all right, I need help getting up, you know, and being able to do that at this retreat. Witnessing things that, hearing things, seeing things, feeling things that I've never felt before in my life. Like really feeling the presence of God. Words can, I can't, I still haven't, I'm still not able to describe it in words what I went through. But it was something that I get, it was beyond me. And, and, and it was all God, you know. Even my whole mindset is like different now. Like, like I understand now why I went through what I went through. Why a lot of things that happened in my life, why it happened now. Before I, I, was, I blamed God, it was all your fault, all your fault. But now I know why. I can look at the Bible, I can read a verse, a chapter in the Bible, and I'm like, wow, this pertains to my life today. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was years and years and years ago, you know? When I pray, I'm not going to say it's instant, but when it's to come, it comes. Wow. I pray every day now. I didn't pray before like that. I only prayed when I needed something right then and there. Or when I was in a situation like, God, help me. I need it out here, you know? Now I just pray and say, thank you. Thank you for another day. Thank you for whatever I had to take on today. Thank you for yesterday. Thank you for, like I said, yesterday was just <laughs> my phone busted yesterday. Normally I'm like, oh, I get, get, no, I, don't. I was like, you know what? It's going to be okay. Yesterday I experienced the most wonderful thing. I went, I went to the... The bishop's um, ah. installation mass. The massive installation of a bishop. I'm sitting in the fifth pew from the altar, right across from Governor Ducey. A lot of prominent people there. It's a little about me <laughs> from the res, you know, and I'm just like, but I was just so moved being there. Like, as soon as I walked in and sat down, I couldn't stop crying. I just, and it wasn't like, oh, boo hoo hoo. It was like, like, I'm sitting there smiling and just crying. I think, this girl's crazy. <laughs> but I was fine, you know? I'm sitting there laughing when he's telling his jokes. Everybody's kind of like, huh, huh, huh. But I'm like, I get it. I get what you're saying. It's just funny, you know? I mean, it was just, I don't know if it was because of all the religious entities that were there that, that, that it bring the spirit and everything, but I could just feel like just this, you know? Like, I was, I was, I didn't care who was there, but I kind of did, but I didn't. But I just felt like the presence of like holy. Yeah. The Holy Spirit. And it, it felt good. And it was like, man, my whole mindset is different, you know. And I understand what I went through in my life. I'm not mad about it. Yeah. I understand it. And that's it's hard for people people look at it and say, Yeah, right, Sheila. No, you have no idea, like, you have no idea like where I am with God right now. Like, like My daughter said to me yesterday, she goes, I love seeing you at your happiest. I love seeing you genuinely happy. 
It's not like this fake thing. It's not like this. It's just, it's just you happy. And I'm happy for you, mom. Yeah. I'm happy for you. And to hear that from my oldest, because me and her have beefed and battled since she was probably 13 years old, yeah. you know? And to, to hear her say this, to hear, to get a dozen roses from her, to get a card from her just out of nowhere, to tell me I love you. Even even my kids, before I would, when I was in my addiction, I'd say, oh, I love you guys. Like, mm-hmm. To get a text from my kids just out of the blue. Hey, mom, I love you. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that God. just, it makes me so happy, but I don't yeah. even know how I'm just like sitting there. I'll be like, <laughs> you know, things happen in my life that are, that are before I would get mad and crazy over and be pounding something or hitting something. I'm just like, yeah. okay, I get it. All right. I'll keep on going. And I'm just going along, you know? Yeah. Well, let's, uh, we have to, we're going to pick up. So this is our teaser alert for our next, so this is a two part <laughs> series. And we talked, you know, about, uh, she had this kind of uh, time in her early childhood and, and the trauma she experienced in, in her, her bad lies, the mentality she had. And then we've talked about the healing that occurred. And she kind of teased us a little bit into our current mentality. We want to get into that and the healing and the new attitude, mm-hmm. the new mentality that she has in this psychological healing. And so uh, there's a teaser for next time. Please join us. Uh, Sheila will be back Thank with you. us um, as we talk through the... Um, this, uh, what God has done and what God Praise has done. Praise God, because I but, would not be here today if it was amen. not for God and, and the friars uh, of the Holy Spirit. Because Well, all the Lord, all the Lord. <laughs> uh, and so we uh, have a, a question that we ask at the end of the podcast, just okay. something to get to. You know, we got a lot to know you a lot, but it's kind of a fun question. And so um, just because you talked about um, you know, the beauty of, of these many, many uh, people in your life who were so devoted to God, do you have a favorite saint? Do you have a favorite saint? Yeah. My favorite saint actually is Francis of Assisi. Okay, and why is that? Because he's an animal lover. <laughs> and you have a lot of dogs. I have a lot of dogs, but also <laughs> because that is who my grandma, no matter what, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. And every night when I was a child, she'd be sitting in the bed across from me and she would pray that. And so, yeah. you know, and, and it wasn't until I actually read it and I read it in depth for myself and I actually read it I was like wow now I know why she read this that's awesome but just because of that because I love animals (laughs) no matter what animal (laughs) St. Francis of Assisi pray for us and uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you be gracious to you turn his countenance towards you give you his peace may mighty God bless you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and come back with us next week All right, God bless you bye thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith. That's .f-a-i-t-h. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith. That's becomefire.faith. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.